welcome to Ideas to Impact, brought to you by Eastern AHSN, part of the National AHSN Network. Our purpose is to turn great ideas into positive health impact. And in this podcast series, we'll be talking to people who support us in this goal from across the innovation ecosystem. My name is Charlotte James. Today, we're joined by Danny Mortimer, Chief Executive of NHS Employers and Deputy Chief Executive of the NHS Confederation, to reflect on the role of innovation and health tech in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We will discuss not only the innovations that helped the NHS respond, but also some of the cultural changes that enabled so many things to be introduced at speed and look to see what lessons we can maybe apply for the future. Danny first worked for the NHS as a porter and care assistant before becoming a management trainee and then progressing into executive roles in hospitals across the country before joining NHS employers in 2014. He's a chartered fellow of the Chartered Institute of Personal Development, a trustee of the Employers Network for Equality and Inclusion and the NHS Retirement Fellowship and chairs the Cavendish Coalition of Social Care and Health Organisations. Hello, Danny. Thank you for joining us today to talk about the role of innovation in the response to the pandemic. The HSN Network observed dramatic changes during the pandemic as accepted truths and conventional ways of doing things were challenged as the crisis deepened. Patient need broke down silos and drove forward transformations at pace. Positive, practical change is within our reach as perhaps never before, and the HSN Network are committed to working with our partners to build on the momentum in the system and support sustained collaboration. We work with our partners in the NHS to enable behavioural changes and give those working in the delivery of health and care the backing and permission both to make those changes and embed them for the longer term. So Danny, in your opinion, um, to start with a big question, what role has health tech played in response to the pandemic? It's um, what our members tell us it, is that it has been really important. It's been really important in terms of maintaining contact with patients, um, particularly you know, longer term patients, the patients that haven't got COVID. So it has been really important. Um, I think it's also, though, highlighted some of the deficits that we have in terms of infrastructure um, and also some of the challenges uh, within the NHS and some of the challenges obviously that some members of our population face in terms of accessing um, digital technologies to be able to kind of um, be in contact with health professionals so you know there, there are there are issues there particularly related to to health inequalities and poverty that that we also need to to bear in mind and very much kind of um, involve patients and being very clear with patients that there still is capacity for face-to-face appointments where where either the clinical team need that or obviously the, the patient or their family need that. And I think it's been a really, yeah, it, it's a really good case study, both in terms of the, the technology, but also the management of change as well and the thought that's been applied. I agree that the adoption of technology has presented opportunities in providing healthcare differently. Do you think that the role of data has changed over the last few months? I mean, it's 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 been one of the you know the it's been one of the perennial kind of actual and perceived barriers to collaboration and integration. The kind of particularly the kind of sharing of of data. But again, I think I think we've seen people feel much freer to kind of use the data in ways that that helps and assists their their patients. Um, again, you know, another example, really nice example down in in Brighton and Sussex, um, the Sussex Community Trust and and the Hospital Trust. There, one of the trusts I worked in many years ago um, you're collaborating really effectively to share rapidly share data about patients accessing oxygen therapy and helping patients also then control um, you're giving them devices so that actually there's, there's very accurate reporting of their condition and, and treatment can be activated you know, in a very responsive way so I think I think there have been I mean, clearly ideas that were were present before the pandemic that have been accelerated catalyzed and and deployed rapidly 
um, both in terms of organisations working together, but also um, giving patients greater access to being able to provide data um, about their their care, their treatment through to their, their clinical teams. I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Just that there's, lots of the technologies were already there, but actually they came to the fore in the response yeah. to the pandemic. Absolutely. And, and, and I think the availability of resource has helped that. You know, we, you know clearly we've been in this, this, this exceptional position where we have um, the context has been exceptional. And I think there is something about us remembering that um, you know, that period, particularly back in March when we first you know, responded to the pandemic. I think the public gave us some consent to do things differently. I think our people compromised enormously uh, in terms of the way they changed and the way they worked. And we probably also did the same as organisations as well. Some of those things are exceptional. Some of them we hope to keep permanent, but some of them we won't be able to keep as permanent um, because actually um, you know, it, it was a qualified consent the public gave us or it was a qualified kind of compromise that that our people gave us. And we still have to go back and um, and have the proper conversation about how we sustain the change or what the future might look like. So I, th I think that freedom to act, that that context has been really important, but it's, it, it, you know, we, we need to just be cautious, a little cautious um, in terms of, of, of some of that going forward. Do you think the response to the pandemic has, you know, changed the NHS culture and attitudes for the long term, um, as well as actually pragmatically, but actually the sort of culture? I suppose there's two things there. I mean, I, I think the first is that we hope so. Um, I think the second, though, is that the fear is that particularly that kind of regulatory and performance management culture that's grown over this last 15 years is very strong and kind of just resume, you know, picks up where it left off. And, and already members are, are, are starting to feed back to us that you have some of that, that concern. Um, and, you know, our job, the Confederation's job on behalf of our members is to engage with um, the Secretary of State and with the various regulators to, to help them understand some of the lessons that can be learned. You know, this isn't about there being no accountability. That's, that's clearly not uh, either acceptable or desirable, but, but we probably took the measurement, inspection, regulation, daily, weekly scrutiny way too far in the, in the sort of years immediately prior to the pandemic. Um, and there's something about, you know, scaling some of that back and, and learning some of the, the lessons, because I, th I think that's a much more productive use of leaders' time and particularly their team's time, but it also creates some of that freedom to, to make decisions and, and to work at pace and scale, whereas perhaps we've, we've allowed a, a way of working over the years to develop, which is, um, you know, any decision that's made um, absolutely has one eye on the scrutiny, which, you know, it'll be subject to, which probably means decisions aren't made quickly or effectively. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. Um, I mean, the AHSMs, um, as you may be aware, we, we spent a lot, quite a lot of time during the um, the outbreak to help support um, the introduction of innovations in response to the pandemic. A lot of those at pace, as, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, what we're finding now in our conversations with um, our partners regionally is that some of those have longer term potential. Some need sure. to be properly evaluated um, and some were only of use at the time and really don't yeah. have potentially um, something that's going to go beyond that. Um, so mu much work has been done on this, the ground at the moment, often in partnership with AHSMs to evaluate those innovations. 
and really determine what should be taken forward in the, the long-term potential. Mm. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you how that work that the HSNs are doing um, in partners with system on, systems on the ground, how that feeds up nationally and how important you feel um, the role of HSNs in that work. And, and, and you make some really important, important points there about different things have happened and, and they'll have different implications for the for the longer term I mean I, again one of the the broader lessons of the the pandemic is that I, I think it has it has reinforced both um, the acknowledgement of collaboration but also the practice of collaboration um, and it's accelerated the acceptance that actually we are better when we work together you know we've we've had 20 30 years of, of competition and, and we absolutely now are in the in the phase where, where collaboration is in the best interests of our of our patients and our our communities um, and AHSNs are, are one of those vehicles for collaboration um, one of those vehicles for you know helping people come together to come up with with shared solutions to shared um, shared problems you know that that's true um, you know sort of a local and, and system level and, and obviously the larger footprints that that many of you will have but actually your ability to work together as a network is also really important and really impressive I, I guess you know the thing that I observe is that most innovations need to start you know we'll, we'll start best locally but we do need we do need to reach a point where we're actually we can kind of spread those and disseminate those but I I, I do think that acceptance of, of collaboration which obviously you know you, you guys have been pioneering for for many many years now I, I think that is one of the big cultural changes. You know, we talked earlier about has the culture changed, um, and uh, you know I think I think nationally we need to wait and see how the regulatory bit changes. But I think in terms of leaders in the service, yes, you know we've we've absolutely um, I think for the large part we've we've accepted that collaboration was really key to responding to the pandemic and and is absolutely going to be part of the new. Great. That's really great to hear. Thank you very much for that. Um, can I also ask you if there's anything in particular that you think um, was a real achievement of the HSNs during the pandemic that you observed? Could be a local example or it could be us working collaboratively on more national rollout. I, th I think it's the national rollout in particular. And, and I suppose, you know, what, what that points to um, is that you'd been, um, you were building on uh, a lot of investment and time and thought over many years um, of working together. Um, and and actually, you too, as a group of organisations, were able to scale that up um, and to um, pace that up, if that's a phrase, um, uh, during the pandemic as well. So, you know, I think that your ability to connect with each other and to connect different geographies, geographies with each other was was really important. I suppose there's a, there's a second thing that I'd touch on as well, which is, there are serious economic consequences as a result of the pandemic. Um, and I know AHSNs are, are very, very engaged with the economic development agenda more generally, but, but specifically in terms of you know, what, what economic kind of recovery looks like um, after the pandemic or as we emerge from this worst part of the pandemic. Um, and I've been you know, in conversation last week where I heard about the work that's been done um, in the Northwest about um, kind of working, bringing um, national, local government um, med tech companies and the health service together to kind of think about what does that you know, future look like. There's, there's a lot, a lot that's gone on in that space as well that's going to be really important for the longer term um, health and wealth of the nation. 
That's that's great. That's a really big part of our work. That sort of um, economic recovery and um, supporting um, all our different regions and having a part of um, that. Is there anything in particular that you think that the HSN network can do to support that reset and recovery? I realise they're slightly t- different terms um, in the NHS Confederation. I think I think there's a, you know, I I, I think the point about the economic. Um, future of communities and, and the role that the health service and the broader kind of health industries can play in that again was really important before the pandemic but has been thrown um into even even starker relief the example that i saw in the northwest um that, that liz was sharing with me you know il- illustrates the role that ahsn's across the country are, are playing and clearly it was an agenda that was a real interest to people before the pandemic but um, but I think the experience of the last six months allows us to build on that interest in anchor institutions, allows us to build on that focus that systems have now in terms of population health and the contribution they can make to their, their local economy and their local mm-hmm. um, communities. And, and AHSNs are a part of the, um, the binding. You know, you, you, you work on behalf of those systems, you work on behalf of those, those organisations and you have that ability to to convene and bring together um, different actors, both within the NHS, but but importantly, uh, in the wider economy and, and wider um, kind of civic in infrastructure. Um, and I think that's really important. And again, you've got that ability to kind of compare notes and and to share intelligence with each other. And and I think to to be part of that, you know, there's a real opportunity for us as a sector to make the case to the government that actually an investment in the NHS, the investment in our infrastructure and the investment in the industries that we work with is in the long-term interests of the of the country. And, and, and as I said, in, um, you know, it, it both helps the health of our communities, but, but also helps the wealth of the nation overall. Yes, and they're so related, of course. Mm. Um, so, so I think that's, that's a very interesting point. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I'm going to turn some questions now um, specifically related to workforce, actually, because the sure. NHS Confederation and the network have been working together um, to explore some of the cultural and leadership changes emanating from the pandemic, some of which we've already addressed. Um, but are there any other observations you wanted to add in um, about evolving leadership or culture during the pandemic, maybe related to the um, new um, work plan? There are a few things that are positive and there are a few things that um, we've always needed to do more work on, but the pandemic has has kind of sadly illustrated how how much there is still to do. Um, you know, I, th- I think that that commitment to collaboration, that freedom to innovate, that that great risk appetite that we've seen in in leaders and and their teams is has been really important, and we and we do need to find ways of maintaining that. Um, you know, there's the caveats we've we've talked about in terms of engaging with communities and engaging, you know, bringing our people with us, but but. I think I think there's a there's a huge amount there um, to build on. At the same time, the uh, pandemic has has shown how much there still is to do uh, in terms of our support for our colleagues in social care, in particular, and that's um, you know, a, a national challenge, obviously, in terms of the the lack of policy, meaningful policy and political action has been in that space now for for more than a decade, but it has, through the experience of the last six months, it's, it, it's reinforced the importance of those local relationships as well um, and our, our, our need to work together to, to support um, social care delivery. So there's you know, more to be done there. 
The second is is around um, inequalities and, and and particularly around um, race. You know, the, the the pandemic absolutely showed that the outcomes are poorer um, for many ethnic minority communities. The fact that BME communities do have poorer access, poorer experience, poorer outcomes um, in far too many areas of of healthcare um, and their health, and that's a really important um, policy issue. Um, you know, the Confederation um, has been commissioned to to establish the Race and Health Observatory, which will help um, service planning and service delivery in terms of uh, removing those inequalities. But it it also shows up, and um, the fact that we are so reliant on a on a, both a global um, workforce, but also a workforce that are drawn from a very diverse set of communities within within the UK itself and within England, within England in particular. And clearly, given the workforce race equality standard in the NHS has been demonstrating for a number of years now, that in every single organisation in the NHS, national and local, um, BME staff have a, a poorer experience, poorer outcome, experience discrimination, racism, compared to their, their white colleagues. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've been more and more able to describe that challenge, but, but the pandemic has absolutely... Um, illustrated the the fact that leaders now need to to take um, real and sustained action to to address that that challenge. Are you able to share any more about you know what um, what has been done to sort of drive forward solutions on a national level to address the issue um, of health inequalities, specifically related to the Black Lives Matter movement and the sort yeah. of the disproportionate toll of coronavirus, specifically on sadly um the percentage of um healthcare professionals and doctors who were taken very ill or died as a result of covid-19 so there's a there's a few things there i mean i i think the the first thing to say is that um in terms of the you know this illustrates a a longer term uh, a long standing and longer term um set of challenges for for healthcare delivery and um, NHS England have got a, a number of responses um, um, are um, that they're they're working with organisations uh, about, and you know the HSNs are a part of that response within within systems. Our specific contribution will be the Race and Health Observatory, um, and that will, by taking um, particular service areas, that will both by and large NHS England does that is very much one size fits all and doesn't recognise the differences. Um, and particularly the poorer outcomes there are for BME communities. But it would also um, speak to systems and, and organisations uh, and help them design their services. And in doing that, I think it's, it's, it's going to be able to build on um, some fantastic work there is going on out in the service already. You know, the, one of the things that I've been really heartened by is the number of clinicians that have got in touch with me as I've gone about setting up the observatory to let me know about work that they're involved in in their local communities to address those those issues around access and experience and outcomes that that are affecting some of their local communities but that's a you know these are problems that have been depressingly generations in the making and there are those are issues that we're going to have to 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 tackle you know over over the next few years working with NHS England and and with with systems and organizations turning to 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 staff in in particular and the, the NHS workforce with my kind of NHS employers hat on, we've we we worked with trade unions and others to to develop some some risk assessment guidance for for organisations, and then there's been a huge effort 
over this last um, few months to make sure that there have been proper and meaningful risk assessment conversations with all high-risk staff, but in particular BME staff, so that actually um, both they can get some some reassurance, but also if changes need to be made to people's working arrangements or working practices to um, to reduce the risk to them if they if they contract the virus, then that that can be done, and, and that's been done at scale right across England over the last over the last few months. Um, I suppose the final thing to say though is that is that the I think one of the important bits of content in the people plan was a recognition that that the the virus has has reminded us of what are very long-standing problems, long-standing uh, experiences of discrimination for our BME colleagues, and that brings us back to that that leadership um, challenge, and in particular, um, BME colleagues. You know, there's a there's a risk we we sort of fall into the trap of saying, well, you know, we, we need to kind of spend some time now learning from other sectors. No, we need to listen to our 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 people. They they will be able to tell us what needs to be done, and we need to we need to do it, um, frankly. So I think I think there is that continued leadership challenge now in every single one of our our organisations, national and local, um, in terms of responding to the to the concerns of our our colleagues, which have been magnified, obviously because of the, the virus, but also because of the um, the killing of George Floyd in, in America and, and the response in our communities to that. Thank you. It's really heartening to hear um, the commitment to um, that a very important um, agenda. And I'm really interested in this um, new health, um, race and health um, observatory. Can I yeah. ask you, with the, um, this new observatory, um, is it going to be integrated between health and care? So um, its its primary starting point is is the long term plan of of NHS England. So that 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 will become um, the kind of structure that it will work within. Obviously, the long term plan does speak to um, service integration. It does speak to the role of of ICSs. You know, based on at the moment on the investment that the observatory receives, that that will be the way in which um, the observatory will work. So yes, it's it's very much in an integrated manner, but its starting point is. Is the delivery of health. I'm really looking forward to learning from the observatory. The NHS workforce are integral to doing things differently and the pandemic response has just shown just how flexible NHS staff can be. I saw a recent GMC barometer survey which showed how many staff have been redeployed or worked in perhaps a different way during the pandemic. What do you think are the longer term implications of this kind of flexible working? I think, I, I suppose it's the, it's the note, the, the note of caution I would strike there is that, that lots of parts of the workforce probably most parts of the workforce have been enormously um uh, responsive and have changed the way they work and worked in different areas and and so on i think one of the you know one of the interesting challenges for junior doctors you know the doctors in training um is that we need to make sure that we can also maintain our education or commitment to those doctors for the longer term i mean yes They've been invaluable, vital in terms of responding to the virus. Yes, they'll be invaluable, vital in terms of responding to winter. But we're also investing in their in their capabilities and their proficiencies for the longer term. You know, we need them to be the consultants and general practitioners of the um, of the next uh, forty or fifty years. So, so there's you know that we we need to maintain um, that focus. I think we also need to to recognise that 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 actually uh, you know part of the flexibility that we saw. Um, in responding to the pandemic was was a fairly unique set of circumstances in terms of where we found ourselves in in March and we made some compromises in in terms of 
and some of our standards and and you know protocols um and those aren't necessarily sustainable for the for the longer term you know that they're, they're in place for a for a reason um i think our people you know in my experience over 30 years now i think our people are pretty flexible pretty mm. adaptive actually we tend to tell the stories of the occasions when people aren't um but i think i think that that obscures the fact that um, 99% of the time actually our people are enormously adaptive um and in the time i've worked in healthcare um it's a it's it's a process of constant change it's a process of constant change in terms of what we can do do for our patients because of technology in particular um um, and I see clinical teams endlessly adapting um, to new ways of working. Um, they're probably frustrated that, that sometimes as organisations, we don't help them do that as quickly as they would like, that we don't always have the infrastructure and the, the technology available for them to do what they know they could do differently and better for their patients. And, but as we've touched on, we've experienced what rapid deployment looks like in this last six months. Um, but no, I, I think people are by and large adaptive, and flexible but they also like being part of a team um, that they've been part of for a longer a longer period of time they they train to use a particular set of skills and proficiencies and they want to be able to use those for their patients and uh, we do have patients that we've not had sufficient contact with over this last six months so there's a there's probably it's a very long a long a long road to saying there's a bit more of a balancing act to be done there in terms of um that uh, adaptability that our people have shown um, because it may not be in every case it may not be su as sustainable in the longer term as we as we might want it to be for, for very good reason it was great to hear you talk about junior doctors and the flexibility um and mm. some of those things that we were just discussing uh, it was really interesting secretary of state did a speech recently where he talked about um trusting people who work at the nhs in all levels and saying that he wanted everybody at all levels to think like a leader and be encouraged to use their initiative and take ownership of their decisions um he talked a lot about distributed authority where decisions are made as close as possible to where the information is yes. could you could you tell us a little bit more about how that would be achieved and maybe what um any teams could do on a local level to support that goal what, what, what we've said to the Secretary of State, what I said to the Secretary of State, and I, I wrote to him a couple of weeks ago about this, was that absolutely he's spot on in calling for that. Um, but that he and other national leaders also have to own, own the problems that are, you know, that, that stop us working in that way, um, as well as being able to, you know, encourage the rest of us to find the, the, the solutions. I think there is something about that um, ever-growing infrastructure of regulation and performance management and inspection and oversight and reviews, which actually has kind of silted up leadership practice, which is, has meant that far too many of our management teams and our clinical teams are, are in effect, facing his office and the kind of um, data machinery that's needed for, you know, for the national architecture rather than, you know, focusing on on that kind of um, leadership and innovation that, that we all want to, to bottle. There are things that organizations can do differently. You know, there, there are things in, in terms of working practice in organizations that they can and should look at, that they will have changed themselves um, as a result of the pandemic. But there's also similarly some things that our, our national leaders need to look at and, and do very differently going forward. Yes, one of those I believe they're looking at specifically is the topic of reducing bureaucracy, which I know you've yeah. addressed previously, um, mm. um, which I think is a really interesting one for the NHS. Do you have any views on that that you wanted to share about helping reduce bureaucracy whilst also, of course, maintaining safety and standards? 
I think, I think, I mean, I, I, there's a few things. I mean, I think the first is absolutely that this is about, this is not about any one of accountability. Members are very clear about that. You know, they they recognise um, that they must be held accountable for, for what they do. Um, and they must be held accountable, particularly for, for keeping patients and communities safe. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is that technology can play a part in that. And members tell us that you know, some of the things we talked about at the beginning of this conversation um, could be taken further and scaled up in terms of use of, of technology and digital platforms in particular to simplify some of that that oversight and data collection and, and regulation. Um, that's the, the second thing. I think I think the third thing is that we have a, a now a, an entire kind of ecosystem of CQC inspections, well-led reviews, use of resources reviews, exceptionally regular performance management meetings, um, unify returns, data returns, uh, often to multiple sources within the same regulator, multiple offers of support um, and intervention where, where organizations are, are off track. And there needs to be a greater coordination, a greater streamlining of those those kind of offers and requirements, because actually they are taking up valuable capacity and time for for our for our leaders. Um, and our offer to the Secretary of State, our offer to other national leaders is 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 for for our members to be part of of helping design a new way of being held to account. And again, this is absolutely about being held to account. It's absolutely about being held to account for the investment that the, the public make in our services but but arguably now we've we've gone we've gone too far in terms of that, that system of measurement scrutiny thank you for that um and may i move on now to ask you a few questions about exactly what you're just saying about public involvement and engagement with the um, mm. with the nhs we witnessed as a, you know a deep gratitude for the services of the health and care staff during the pandemic and you've spoken about how a new relationship um, with the NHS has maybe um, been set up um, with the communities that it serves. Support for this. Are, are, are the relationships with, with voluntary and, and community um, organisations? The thing that we've, um, we've observed, um, and, and we've seen members do, but we're, we're, we're very keen to play our part in, in providing a kind of national how can we maintain and sort of maximise this new relationship? Do you have any sort of advice or practical steps that you would suggest? And those organisations can and will play an invaluable role in, in representing um, patients and communities going forward. You know, for our part, we've, as part of our reset campaign, we've, we've developed some really positive relationships with, with a number of those organisations nationally. But we would absolutely encourage members to kind of share their experiences of, of the work they've been doing locally, because we, we do think it's a it's a really uh, an important part of, of how we can all um, better engage with the with the public. You know, clearly allowances were made in the early, early stages of the pandemic. You know, we, we were able to introduce change uh, which people accepted uh, without you know, having to go through um, you know, perhaps the consultation and engagement we would do nationally. Uh, normally, sorry, um, but you know we've we've got to resume some of that engagement. Our, our experience is that the, the voluntary organisations can can play a really important part in that. I believe um, you have a new report on this, don't you? About did, how yeah. insights you've gathered the insights and points for a future. Can you just maybe explain how people can maybe access that report? Yeah, sure. So, so the confederation over this last two months has has been running a, a campaign called NHS Reset. We've been working with the NHS, the HSNs on 
in the innovation aspects of that. But uh, across a, a variety of work streams, we've been trying to, to gather the lessons that can be learned from the pandemic, but also point towards um, some, some future action for, for all of us. And, and one of them has been about um, public and social social engagement. And if you go to the NHS Confederation website, or if you Google NHS Reset, you'll you'll see a range of reports that we've published there. And, and one of them, which was um, two weeks ago now, was was about that 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 process of community engagement and capturing some of the fantastic case studies and best practice um, that we've seen around the country during the pandemic. Thank you. Um, and uh, it's great to hear you talk about meaningful citizen patient engagement. Um, on a local level, HSNs do all we can to gather insights from our communities into our work, even when we're introducing innovations at pace. Could you tell and think about uh, anything that you're doing or the findings of that report specifically related to those from sort of disadvantaged communities, where maybe some of the challenges are deep rooted and communities face particular problems. So it could be digital exclusion, for example, um, mm. and any actions you're taking. So, so I think I think what we what we see, um, Charlotte, are our members absolutely taking that that forward, you know, in in, in various parts of the, the country, um, and working with other partners to to try and tackle digital exclusion, for example, or or, or some of the other factors that the that the, the pandemic has has highlighted. And again, it, it it's not that some of that wasn't happening before the pandemic, but it's it's that the pandemic has brought it home to all of us how important. And that is now, um, and that it may be an area that we've not paid sufficient attention to in the recent past. So I think that you know, the report will will give people um, a large number of examples. And I, I think what the report does in particular, I think, is 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 articulate a challenge from the voluntary organisations, the NHS as a whole, um, about how we can support that engagement going forward. And I guess also flags up to the government as they look at the spending review, how they can invest in that voluntary community sector infrastructure mm. because yeah. there, there is a risk that you know that, that without some investment from the treasury actually organizations won't be able to sustain and that kind of level of, of representation and advocacy they do on behalf of, yes. of the sort of patient communities they serve Unfortunately, just in our region, we've noticed quite a few small um, charities, even arms of national groups, actually, who have closed during the pandemic yeah. because of some of the yeah. pressures. So I think that's that's a really important point. Um, may I turn our thoughts just briefly to the sort of the prevention agenda? Um, I read a previous interview where you suggested the NHS needs a new sort of social contract with the public and encourage a more sort of shared responsibility for health. Mm. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about um, that idea and maybe some of the benefits that that could bring? I think in, in some ways, actually, it it's a build on the conversation we've just had about voluntary sector organizations. You know, a, a lot of those organizations are um, advo advocating on behalf of, of members of our communities with long-term conditions. And again, I think one of the, one of the, you know, again, we also talked earlier about, about how technology has also been empowering patients you know, most recently during the pandemic. So I think, I think the building blocks are there. They're, they're things that we've been inter interested in for, for a long time. Um, and the pandemic has, has accelerated some of the, the work there. Um, but we've also got to accept that culturally, uh, in terms of leading services, culturally in terms of how we regulate services, that we, we do need to be prepared to invest more time and resource in, in giving um, patients you know, greater control over their own, their own health, their own records, their own, their own data, their own ability to you know, control how they access our, our services. And, and the voluntary organisations are, are really up for working with us to to do that um, and that's clearly 
we'll make better use of our our resources but but most importantly we'll we'll make sure that we can better serve and and support support our patients absolutely i think that's a really interesting potential uh so there's been much written about sort of creating positives where we can out of this public health emergency that we've seen um what would you like to see as the positive legacies um from the pandemic I think there are there are two that we're particularly focused on in the, in the confederation. I, I, th- I think the first is is the issue of health inequalities, uh, and that we do finally address those, most particularly in relation to, to race and health, as we've talked about. And I think the the second is that this is absolutely an opportunity to to reset and make much more focused and effective the kind of regulatory performance management accountability mechanisms for for healthcare, so that we we absolutely measure what matters, but we we also make sure that we maximise the kind of capacity and um, for decision making as close to the patient as possible. Fantastic. What a wonderful way to end our interview, actually, Danny. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. So there you go. I'd like to thank Danny again for his time. It was especially fascinating to hear his views on the longer term workforce impacts of COVID-19. And we'll be sure to keep an eye out for more information about the Race and Equality Observatory over the coming months. You can follow Danny on Twitter at NHSE underscore Danny. We'd love to know your thoughts on this podcast or anything else we've discussed or could discuss in the future. You can find us on Twitter and LinkedIn at Eastern AHSM. Eastern AHSM is part of the National AHSM Network, and you can learn more about our work and turning great ideas into positive health impact at easternahsm.org. Thank you.